Fab Lab Podcast, Economic Forecast, an interview with Taylor St. Germain. Welcome to the Fab Lab, the stone industry's only podcast dedicated exclusively to the business side of your stone shop, where we focus on improving operations inside the business so we can experience more life outside of it. So let's get down to business. Welcome back to another episode of the Fab Lab Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Crowley, with my co-host, Wes Rice. Wes, I should welcome you back to the podcast. Hey, it's great to be back. You know, things have been busy, things have been crazy, but uh, this is an exciting podcast. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we've had to adjust the way that we run the business. We've had to adjust the way that we do the podcast. It is crazy times right now. It is. It's uh, it's it's changing by the moment, and everyone's wondering how these times are going to affect them and their business. So I think this uh, interview we have today is going to be really relevant to a lot of folks. Yeah, and to that point, it just is a testament to when you have to adjust, you can innovate and and continue. For those of you listening right now, Wes and I are not in the same office. We're not even. I mean, I think we're in the same town. Uh, same town. <laughs> but we're, we're recording this remotely, both of us. And we recorded the interview that we're going to make available to you here in just a couple of minutes remotely. Yeah, so our guest on the podcast today, Taylor St. Germain, he was in Houston. And so all three of us were in separate areas on separate you know, uh, systems recording this fantastic interview. And it was fantastic. Uh, I'm going to just give you a little bit of a lead up to this, and then we're going to play the interview because it was great. So before we do that, I want to just mention a word from our sponsor. Stone Fabricators Alliance, you know, a lot of us are isolated right now, trying to keep our distance. Some companies are shut down, some cities are completely shut down, some states are shut down, and you're not supposed to be having unnecessary contact. Even the Stone Fabricators Alliance workshop last week was canceled because of the concern over the coronavirus. But to the point about technology, the Stone Fabricators Alliance has an absolutely phenomenal Facebook group, this community, this group of fellow fabricators, seven, 8,000 members strong on the Facebook group is still active, still open to conversation. What a great resource, fellow fabricator. If you are not on the SFA fa uh, Facebook group, you need to get on there. You can communicate. You can talk with other fabricators in different states and different cities and find out how this is affecting them and what they're doing to adjust, what they're doing to modify, how they're you know, uh, making plans to get through this super unique time. So even though our, our conferences, even though workshops are being canceled or at least postponed, there's still opportunity to communicate with the fabrication community through the Stone Fabricators Alliance Facebook group. So check them out, stonefabricatorsalliance.com. So now, Wes, back to the interview. Um, Taylor St. Germain is an economic analyst for the firm ITR Economics. They are a decades-old firm specializing in industrial economics. They serve large business and large industries, analyzing data to present forecasts. It's not a crystal ball. It's not telling the future, but the, the data that they are analyzing and the models that they use are incredibly accurate. In fact, they predicted the Great Recession of 2008 with unbelievable accuracy. And so we had the just amazing opportunity to have one of their analysts as a guest on the podcast talking about what is going on right now and talking about what we can expect for the rest of this year and into next year. It was an incredibly enlightening, quite frankly, a very encouraging interview in light of the circumstances that we're facing. Wes, what did you think about the interview? It's one of those things like when you see <clears throat> what's going on with the economy, the first thing is 
hey, how does this affect me and my business? And, and what, what does the future hold? And like you said, no one has a crystal ball. But listening to this interview, listening to Taylor explain it, um, and knowing that their company has a 94.7% forecast accuracy rating, it's it was encouraging to hear and kind of have some idea of like what's coming down the pike because yep. worst thing is not knowing, but having a plan, at least if it's good or bad, you can mm -hmm. at least prepare for it. And I think he gives some great insight on uh, how to navigate this and what the future holds. Yeah. And here's a teaser for the end of the episode. What he talks about most of the episode is, is all things considered, I don't know if I'd call it optimistic, but it's really relevant and, and it's not nearly as doom and gloom as you might expect. Yeah. It's, it's pretty optimistic, but he gives mm -hmm. some information about the 10-year forecast. That is something you are going to want to listen to the very end of this interview because it, uh, it's sobering and, and it's necessary. That's, you know, that's the difference between sticking your head in the sand and just you know, muscling through or being aware of what is likely to happen and having the time to prepare. So without further ado, I don't want to get into the interview and share everything that we talked about. So ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the interview with Taylor St. Germain, an economic analyst with ITR Economists. All right. Welcome back to the Fab Lab podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure to welcome Taylor St. Germain from ITR Economics to the podcast. Welcome, Taylor. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Oh, it's such a, I really do consider this a privilege considering the, the times that we're in that you'd take time out of your schedule to join us and, and just talk about what's going on from your perspective. I heard about you the first time actually back at Stone Expo. I heard, I talked to two different people down in Vegas. So I guess it was the international surface event now. And both of them in completely separate conversations said, did you hear the talk uh, by the ITR guy, uh, you know, the, the economic forecast. And by the time I heard it the second time, I thought, I better look this up and see if I can, you know, track it down. Well, I was already scheduled for another meeting, so I didn't hear your second presentation. But man, the, uh, the feedback was phenomenal on your presentation. And, and at the time, the forecast was a very rosy, very optimistic. Uh, things looked really good just a couple of months ago. Boy, things have changed. So, so tell us from your perspective as an economist, as a financial analyst, um, how have things changed since that presentation back in Vegas? Absolutely. I would I'd love to. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, as you mentioned, it was optimistic at one point, but uh, especially in the last few weeks, things have really deteriorated on us. Um, and just to put it in perspective, uh, we were originally forecasting a slower period of activity for U.S. GDP in 2020, but that we were going to turn things around in the second half of the year and that uh, we had some nice growth coming our way, certainly by the end of the year and by 2021. That has, of course, changed with what we've seen with some of the international oil price conflicts out there with the developments of coronavirus, the shelter-in-place initiatives, um, and to the point where we're now forecasting a recession in U.S. GDP in 2020. So that's a, a pretty big change for those of us, or for those that have listened to ITR over the last year, a much more pessimistic view. Now, it is more pessimistic. We're still not expecting 2008, 2009 all over again. Um, but it will be the worst that we've felt since then. So I think it's important to put that in perspective. That's, that's really interesting. You know, you hear the word recession, anybody who came through 08, 09, into 10 and 11, for some of us, those, those set off emotional, you know, alarm bells. <laughs> like, man, I don't want to, I'm not ready to experience that again. Can you kind of give a sense of proportion 
uh, this time around? Mm -hmm. I mean, a recession is, has a definition. Maybe give us the definition and then kind of give us that sense of scale compared to the Great Recession. Sure. So when the definition of recession uh, is two consecutive quarters of GDP contraction. Mm -hmm. And we just barely have two consecutive quarters of GDP contraction in the in upcoming in 2020 in our forecast. So it just barely meets that definition of recession. Compared to you look at something like 2008, 2009, you saw the quarter over quarter growth rate for GDP down around 6%. That was a very severe period of time in terms of a recession. So the magnitude of this recession is, is nowhere close to that, that 6% level. We're just a couple percentage points below the zero line when you're looking at a rate of change. So um, very, very mild on uh, when you make that comparison. Because as you mentioned, I know we all have PTSD. When we say recession <laughs> immediately, 2008, 2009 pops into our heads. And, and that's certainly not the case. Just a couple percentage points below zero. Okay. So, and it, so that's measured based on the economy at large, which factors in every you know, dimension of the economy where you could have certain sectors possibly that, that are unaffected. Is that possible? <laughs> You know, I think originally uh, it, it was um, with the new forecast that, that we just uh, issued this week. I, I think that will be more challenging. Now, you look at places like alcohol, retail sales, you know, some of the grocery stores. We always joke alcohol, alcohol is recession proof. You know, we drink yeah. when times are good and times are bad. So yeah. there's your recession proof indicator. Um, but it will be a much more broad-based recession, and that, of course, includes the, the industrial economy as well. So it's not just a GDP recession. We have the majority of the segments of manufacturing, oil and gas, and the industrial economy at large also enduring that recession. Hmm. Okay. So whereas, like in the Great Recession, the, the building sector was disproportionately affected, where you know, maybe the overall economy was down 6%. Construction was down. I mean, we eventually saw a 50% decline in sales after about the end of 09. That's how far our business shrunk. So it was, mm -hmm. I'm just wondering if there, if there are areas in the economy where there's still room for optimism that this may not affect us all sure. negatively across the board as fabricators. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, it's the construction industry, especially during this time, it, it's almost a tale of two stories. You know, the 08-09 was led by construction, you know, residential, and of course, the commercial market certainly felt it. Um, and, and then this time around, it's more of the industrial broad-based GDP, but you look at metrics like housing starts, for example. They're still performing very well. The recent data was very strong in the housing market. And at this time, based on the recent data we have, we're still optimistic that we see a strong year in single family housing. Hmm. Uh, now, on the commercial side, we are seeing more of a, a ripple effect uh, in terms of the recession, uh, especially with a lot of these major cities shutting down construction projects and really only the essential personnel out there. I know, uh, you know, anecdotally, we do have several, uh, you know, clients and people that we've talked to that have are considered essential personnel. So their commercial construction is, is still up and running for the time being, but it seems like it's being, it's getting harder and harder to be considered essential personnel as well. And I know even some states, uh, like I, I know some areas in Nevada have even told the essential personnel that it, it's time to stop operating. So I think that's going to be the bigger play on the construction markets. It's, it's tougher to tell right now, because we, we need to see where some of these shelter-in-place initiatives are going to go and if essential personnel are allowed to operate. So a little more challenging this time around compared to 08, 09, 
when you look at the, the commercial construction markets. Okay. So with that being said, kind of talking about construction and fabrication more specifically, can you speak to, you know, what your short-term for, you know, forecast is, what the next, you know, 6, 12, 18 months looks like for that sector with, I, I don't know if you can, if there's enough time transpired yet to really recalibrate all of those, those, those equations perhaps, but do you guys have a sense mm -hmm. of, you know, and maybe what you're already telling your fabrication clients right now for, for what they are likely to see or expect this year? Mm -hmm. And what we see with many fabricators is that there's a close relationship to U.S. industrial production. So another one of the series that uh, we provide forecasts for is just fabrication production. Um, so, you know, we, we are looking at several of those production indices that are important to, to the fabricators out there. And the correlation is often very high with a series like in U.S. industrial production. And Industrial production is one of those series that we've already revised the forecast for and built the roadmap um, for the time being. Of course, granted, uh, it's a fluid situation right now, but uh, <laughs> our, our general expectation is, is that we, this will be a, a down year as a whole um, for the industrial economy, and that includes the fabricators. And uh, Originally, we were thinking, like I mentioned in the beginning, by the second half of the year, we'd see some positivity. And based on the new forecast for industrial production, that's not the case. We have decline in our industrial production index that extends through the end of this year. Um, so it is a much more bleak picture. And as I mentioned, originally we weren't expecting a, a recession to the levels that, um, you know, to the levels that we're seeing now. We've certainly increased the depth of the recession as well, not just pushing out that low point as a result of what's developed. And oil prices and, and coronavirus are, are some of the, the big reasons for that. Of course, we see in 15 and 16, I know some of us probably felt another downturn, some of the fabricators as well, when all the commodity prices collapsed. Um, and now we have commodity price collapse on top of uh, coronavirus. So it's a little bit even worse than, than that downturn. So are those related? Is this kind of domino effect or is the oil price completely you know, unrelated to the coronavirus, to the, you know, the commodities that you're mentioning, how are these things linked together and affecting each other? Yeah, it seems like an, an unfortunate coincidence, I guess, is the, you know, uh, the oil price, of course, stems from an international price conflict with Saudi Arabia and Russia. And basically what uh, Saudi Arabia and OPEC and Russia have been cutting production levels in order to keep the price high in the recent years. And by now Saudi Arabia transitioned to uh, increasing their production levels and flooding the market with cheaper oil. And Saudi Arabia can do that because they can be more profitable at lower levels, uh, lower oil price levels. Um, unfortunately, that's not true for all of us down here in Texas, where I am, and throughout the United States, and, and even into Russia, our break-even levels are higher. So I do mm. think that there was a, a bit of a conservative effort to maybe gain some market share back on the part of the Saudis, given that the U.S. had had a major uh, shale and oil boom over the last few years. So I do think that there was some strategy with that. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know, of course, what, uh, what the uh, uh, administration in Saudi Arabia is considering. I don't know if it was maybe coronavirus was just happened to be a coincidence with lining up with their policy. I'm not mm. sure how that, how that fits in. And I'm certainly not the one to speculate on that. Um, but unfortunately it's, it's two black swan events put right on top of each other, which creates an unprecedented situation for all of us uh, trying to forecast here in the United States. Got it. Got it. Well, that's amazing how things that far away can have that dramatic of an impact on 
you know, right here in little old Tualatin, Oregon, out in our shop making countertops. Right. So, so that, with that being said, what, what can you tell the, 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 the fabricator out there who has a crew and up until, you know, and maybe even still is busy right now, what, what are some, how do we put this into perspective? How do we factor in this forecast of, you know, a, a deeper and a longer recession? It's not 2008, it's not 2009, but it, it's not going to be the ongoing growth that we've experienced. What is a, what are a couple of recommendations you would make to the average fabricator going, do I just blow this off and business as usual? Do I stop everything and, and hunker down? You know, where, where's the balance there? What do you guys recommend? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it especially, uh, well, first of all, a lot of our clients are still saying, you know, the first quarter came in strong. You know, a lot of the people we talked to while I'm out on the road, the, the different trade associations we interact with, the first quarter came in strong and some even beat their own internal forecasts. Uh, but it's really the second and third quarter of this year where we're seeing the largest impact on our forecast. So it's important to be planning ahead, whether this is calling your banker ahead of time, being on good terms with the bank in case you need a line of credit, but it, it cash is king. And that's really what we were seeing. You're seeing a lot of corporations now wishing they would have been building cash over this nice rising trend we've had these last few years. I know it's difficult when things are well to want to conserve, things are going well to want to conserve cash and not spend and expand. But, um, you know, when we're at the top of the cycle, that's the time where we have to be more cautious um, so we can be prepared for the downturn. And so I think that's that's one of the biggest takeaways is, it's, you know, be proactive with your banker if you need to be. Make sure you're building cash because, unfortunately, this is going to get worse and based on our forecast, much worse before things get better. So even though most everyone's feeling calm, the it's the calm before the storm. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and so I, I don't think this is anything that should be taken lightly, especially once you see GDP, you know, industrial downturns occur more than GDP, uh, in terms of recessions. But once you get that full blown GDP recession, like our forecast suggests, the, the pain is, is real and it's going to be tough to, uh, avoid this downturn in any capacity. Okay. And is that, I'm just curious from a, just from an economic standpoint, kind of the psychology of it, you know, is it the, the chicken or egg, you know, people hear, oh gosh, there's a recession. And so does demand then slow down because people are becoming cautious, which then ripples back through and in a sense, <laughs> the, the whole the, mm-hmm. you know, self-fulfilling prophecy phrase or, or it's, it's an easy, you know, statement to make, but what, what's the, what's the cause and effect? What, you know, what's at the root of this and, and how like the reason I would ask is, you know, some companies are serving the commercial sector, much larger, probably more industrial type, larger finance. And then at the other end of the spectrum, small retail, you know, just serving the, the general public doing countertop fabrication, installation or small remodeling contractors. And I would imagine that how the psych, where does the psychology of all this factor in, in terms of the ultimate demand? And, and am I going to expect to see any one of those suffer worse or can I position myself to go, Hey, this sector of constructions typically is, is more stable. What, what can you explain all that to us? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll do my best. Um, first, uh, you know, you often hear people say economists get a lot of things wrong, but I would like to think from my perspective, we're so good at preparing people, um, that we actually, make ourselves wrong because we're so good at preparing people that it ends up changing the fundamentals. That's my, you know, that's my optimistic perspective. But I think there is something to the psychological standpoint 
you know, you look at even some of the, the people that have won Nobel Peace Prizes and things like that, you know, they've been the psychological aspect of economists. And we know that humans are irrational. We behave irrationally. And, you know, that's a big part of our methodology is we study these business cycles. And we are able to identify what phase of the business cycle, as we like to call it, different markets, companies will be in throughout that time. So we can try to help the general irrational um, human being here in the United States, as we all are, by saying, hey, you know, when we're at the top of these economic cycles, even though this is when we're feeling the best and our business is booming, it's actually the time when we should be more cautious and start mm -hmm. considering, you know, building cash. And it, it does come back to the simple fundamental of buy low, sell high. But, you know, it's difficult to tell a publicly traded CEO at the top of a business cycle where you're making all this money not to be expanding. Um, so that's where the, the, the psychological aspect comes in, why our methodology is really built for it is to understand where in that cycle we are and attach certain management objectives to which phase of the business cycle that you're in. But, and as you mentioned, you know, there's you know, fabricators on all ends of the spectrum. Sometimes it's the larger commercial clients. Sometimes it's serving the general U.S. consumer. The unfortunate reality of this situation is even U.S. retail sales we have moving into a recession in 2020. Mm. So we do expect even a pause in the general consumer, not just the broad-based commercial sector. So uh, our methodology certainly lends itself to, to help out both areas. You know, I'm a, I'm a consultant for small businesses. And I also work with some trade associations and Fortune 100 companies. So um, the, that's the nice part about IPR and understanding your rates of change. That's one of the biggest pieces of advice I can give to, regardless if you're serving the, the, the general consumer or the larger corporations, look at your rates of change, develop your rates of change. They'll tell you where you are in the business cycle. They'll let you know when the recovery is starting to build before you actually see it occurring in your dollar figures. So there are ways for us to understand, you know, where we are in the different phases of the business cycle and help mitigate the psychological impact of the you know, the, the general human being irrational. <laughs> so two, two <laughs> things about, about that. I think we, we talk about the canary in the coal mine quote volume being about a two month leading indicator. What you're saying, mm -hmm. this is, this is like three, four, e even as many as, you know, six to 12 months, you're able to forecast and project, you know, a, a, more generally speaking, you need to be aware you know, that a slowdown is likely to occur. And according to the bio, ITR is accurate 94.7% of the time in its long-range mm -hmm. forecasting, which is pretty stunning, you know, statement to make. And so that's even yet another advanced opportunity to, to just be beginning to shift the way we think about things, understand that business as usual is not necessarily the best, <laughs> the best way to be thinking about this. Get ready. Things are likely mm -hmm. to change. How much, you know, that's the more events on the ground right. you know, uh, at the quote level at the at the showroom level you know where you're measuring those numbers and mm -hmm. those, those metrics so the other the other thing I wanted to comment on was the irrationality and and clearly we're we're seeing in a spectrum we've got about 21 I think 22 employees in our fab shop and there's a range um, I, and I think the most the, the majority fall into probably the middle but then you've got some people who really are blowing this off. And then you've got some people who are freaked out. I mean, they are irrational. They're panicked. They're literally like their voices are elevated and you don't understand what risk you're putting me at. And, and so I'm just curious what causes that. And I, 
and I don't want to uh, lead the witness here. And I, where I'm going with this is those people are hearing something from somewhere and it's causing them to react. So from your perspective as an economist, how much of the news, you know, when you're watching the news, what's your perspective of how accurate it is? How rational is the news right now in terms of what they're reporting and what's likely to come? I'd much rather hear that from you and, and get a, a sense of calm, you know, a, a, an unbiased perspective. Yeah, you know, I, I, especially right now, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And what, what we typically do as a company, too, is we, of course, pay attention to all of the media outlets, whether it's the, the Times, the Wall Street Journal. We, we read all of them. Uh, so that, that's the first thing is don't just read one. Uh, make sure you're reading multiple sources. Uh, but then what, what we're, we're really good at doing as a company is trying to replicate what we read in articles in actual data in the database that comes from, you know, reliable sources like the Federal Reserve Board or the Census Bureau. So if we're going to share an article with, with uh, our company and you know, we're going to send things around internally, you better be able to back it up with some hard data in the database that gives you that unbiased perspective. And for those people that are that are freaking out, especially, you know, I saw some uh, some forecasts coming from some of the larger banks in the United States that are predicting a much uh, more pessimistic picture than than what we are. And uh, I think the important thing is, again, is goes back to your rates of change and your leading indicators. We don't just forecast using a regression model or a statistical model. We specialize in finding leading indicators for businesses. And I think that gives a lot of the businesses we work with a much more certainty because it's not a conjecture or a forecast that we're putting together. This is real data that represents a leading index for their market. So it's nothing that's being manipulated. This is just data and looking at comparing rates of change to one another and understanding your leading indicators. So we work with organizations to find buckets of leading indicators for them. Uh, and that helps them tell the story of where they're headed. And that's what helps out a lot of the clients we're working with now is you can see a lot of these leading indicators that were previously rising are moving down into this declining trend, which is right in line with the support of our forecast. So we can tell a very clear story using data, and that allows us to weed out some of the political noise that's out there, some of the noise from the media. So I think it's most important to uh, find reliable data and understand what your leading indicators are, and then that'll get rid of all of the emotional concerns that are out there. Okay. So, so from what I, I, just listening to your tone of voice, it is a rational, calm, factual assessment of data that exists. The data is not suggesting a great depression <laughs> next month. It, it, it's, a, it's a recession, which is only defined as a, as a two consecutive quarters in declining GDP. Even if that's slight, even a tenth of a percent would still be considered by definition a recession. So it wouldn't even have to be that far under just status quo to be called a recession. And, and so I'm hearing uh, calm. I'm, I'm hearing be ready, but, but don't, it's not time to panic. It's, it's time to be careful. Um, I talked to a commercial real estate broker yesterday, a friend of mine, he helped us buy our building and he reached out and I said, what are you hearing, man, at your end? And, and he gave a little bit gloomier picture and he said, and, and, but I've talked to a couple of people who are convinced and I trust these people. The Great Depression you know, is coming. Um, I didn't want to hear that. <laughs> you know, how, how, who, who, who are these people? Are they qualified to make these kind of, you know, dramatic statements and, and I, I, uh, I don't want to give into that. I want to be, I want to be rational. I want to be thoughtful. 
Mm-hmm. And, and so I just, I really appreciate your, um, and I suspect that if your business is forecasting, it doesn't do you any good to give pie in the sky, you know, forecast or, you know, doom and gloom either. It's, it's your business depends on you guys having a track record of providing accurate forecasts of what's likely to happen. And so I'm just relieved to hear, just to have this conversation and, and, and interact with you in terms of just your demeanor. I, I, I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's, yeah. it's a great, it's a great stabilizing, uh, you know, just experience. So I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, um, so from a news standpoint, it w- would you, and I'm not trying to get you to say something that you don't want to say. I, I really am not trying to do that, but, and I don't pay a lot of attention to the news myself, but I, I see other people, res- their response. And so, um, would you say that the, from what you're seeing on the news in terms of forecasts, it, 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 how accurate is it generally speaking? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say, you know, step back and look at the bigger picture. You know, a lot of the data that we're looking at and that's being reported in the news, that those are daily numbers. And, you know, when at, at ITR, we take a step back and we look at the larger picture and, you know, look at what the month comes in at. Look at, uh, you know, don't just focus on a single data point. And we don't change any of our forecasts on speculation. You know, if we hear there's legislation coming down the line, okay, show us the legislation and let's see it impact the data and then we'll change our forecast. Because we find, again, that emotional side often comes in for many forecasters out there and that's when they find themselves in trouble. Uh, you know, you can't forecast off speculation and off emotion. Let the data do the talking. And so that's another thing we pride ourselves on. And that's why we can cut out the political noise too. You know, it, you know we can, we, we let the data do that talking. And until we actually see legislation impact the data, for example, the trillion dollar stimulus that we're seeing, um, uh, you know, that's being developed now, hopefully passed within today, maybe as soon as today or the next few days. Um, we, you know, we're, we're not just going to change a forecast when we hear that's passed. We need to see that impact the data. And I think people get caught, caught up too much in the day-to-day noise. Because um, mm-hmm. even today, the stock market's performing, you know, it's rallying today. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, now all the news stories are changed talking about this <laughs> nice rally because, you know, there's some global confidence. So you, I think you have to take a step back sometimes. And, uh, uh, and especially for people that watch the news, try to read the news. That would be another suggestion that I've always had out there. Um, it's fared well for us, but uh, take a step back and look at the bigger picture. And that's really what we specialize in. Well, and that, you know, that makes sense that this, this broad sort of general perspective, you know, from measuring economic, you know, economics, you know, worldwide and, and industry wide and nationwide. I think the same thing is true though, at the ground level, you know, one day's quote volume, no one called today. That isn't necessarily a trend yet. So, you know, measuring over a long enough period for you to really have a, a sense of what's going on because those day-to-day, hour-to-hour fluctuations just are too, too short, too limited. Right. Um, so, so you mentioned legislation because I haven't been paying that much attention to the news. What, what can you tell us about, number one, what legislation is being considered? It hasn't passed, so you can't really suggest or, or, or speculate the impact, but, but what kind of legislation is being considered right now in response to this whole coronavirus oil issue? Um, what are you hearing? Yeah, so we, we have some major stimulus, uh, a major stimulus package that's being worked on in, in the Senate right now. 
And it's really to try to help corporations and the consumers here in the United States deal with, especially the coronavirus and what's developed with the stay at home uh, or the shelter in place. You know, we, we've, we've already seen layoffs trickling through as a result of businesses having to close their doors. Um, for those people that don't have the capabilities of working remotely, especially, this is a, a, a big issue for them. I've had some, even some of, uh, you know, my, my friends from home that have already been laid off from their jobs. So this is, you know, it, it is real and occurring now. So I think it is important that we have some government stimulus, especially when the government's mandating a lot of the shelter in place. So in a way, the government is creating a bit of the issue. Um, so I think it is important that we see some stimulus to help the corporations and the citizens of the country pull ourselves out. But the, the concern always among free market capitalist economists um, is that that's government intervention. And anytime the government's intervening in the free market, there's unintended consequences that come with it. And you look at something like a trillion dollar stimulus package uh, moving through, that'll help us in the near term and help us get out of this uh, or, or aid us in, in the recovery process. Um, but what are those un, you know, unintended consequences down the line? And I think that's you know one of the key factors. And that's a lot of the questions that I'm being asked is, well, we know this is important, this will help. What does this mean for the long-term trajectory of our U.S. economy in the future if we're adding another trillion dollars to our U.S. debt that's already uh, certainly out of control at this point uh, in terms of the levels that we're at? Hmm. So that a trillion dollars is being considered this, this, this stimulus bill. How, how do they intend to, to get that into the economy? How does that work in a practical sense? You mentioned uh, the companies and then the individuals. What, what is likely to be the means with which that money is, is I don't know, handed out, mailed out? <laughs> what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Well, in some of it, uh, you know, we're still waiting to see the, the, spe- you know, the specific bill to see how that uh, will be distributed. But some of the things you hear, you're looking at some you know, major fundings for the airlines, for example, you know, the, of course, the airlines are being hit very hard um, by this, uh, the lack of travel due to a lot of the shelter in place, not just globally, but domestically. So as a result, you see them down significantly and similar to hotels. I know I just watched a LinkedIn video of the Marriott CEO who's saying some of their business in China was down 90%. And he said that this is impacting them worse than 2008, 2009 and 9-11 combined. Wow. So for some industries, this really is a huge issue where they would need some form of government bailout, or at least they're looking for that. But mm-hmm. you, then you also hear on the flip side for consumers, it could be as simple as a $1,000 check to you know a, adults throughout the United States. So those things are being considered out there right now. So it, uh, uh, we'll have to see what the final bill comes out with. But those are some examples of some areas that I uh, that we've heard um, in have heard drafted in the legislation. Okay. So, do you have models then for that type of you know intervention, if you will, to say, gosh, if they don't do this stimulus, you know, maybe this is extended by a quarter or two quarters. If they do, here's what we think the you know the overall impact is going to be. Maybe the more specific. Oops, I just knocked my mic. Uh, you know, the more the more specific impact uh, and how that might shorten the duration of this recession. What, what do you have you had time to do that yet? Yeah. And the forecast that, that we were discussing earlier, that is with the expectation that we will have some government stimulus. 
Um, now, if we were not to see government stimulus, the logical answer is this could be much worse and, and persist for longer. Um, so I, I think it is necessary that we do see that government stimulus. To what extent, uh, how much worse, how much longer, it would be hard to tell at this, this point um, due to, you know, this really being the tip of the iceberg in terms of the, the data that we have. You know, as you know, the government data sources uh, uh, tend to lag about a month behind. So these next few data points that we receive as a company are going to be detrimental data points and, uh, as they relate to our forecast. So it's important that we're paying attention to those data points. But really what this uh, trillion dollar stimulus immediately does is, as I mentioned, increase the debt. And that gives us a lot of long-term concerns. Um, as if you, as some folks are, are aware with some ITR presentations in the past, and we are forecasting a major economic event for 2030, and that being the next Great Depression in the United States, not to thoroughly depress everybody on the <laughs> listening <laughs> to the podcast. Right. Um, but the next, yeah, 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 and that's, you know, so that's, uh, I always, whenever I present in the Great Depression rolls around, I, I hope it's a drinking event because uh, it tends to go over much better if everyone's drinking a little bit, but, or you're drinking shortly after to say the least, but, uh, the uh, the Great Depression of 2030 is a, a big part of that expectation among ITR is that government debt is um, at a, a level that's unsustainable. Of course, we continue to cut taxes and increase spending, which will just increase your debt. And while we're an apolitical firm, so I'm certainly will never go down the path of, of what what uh, what how I personally think of that, but. Um, uh, it's going to be an issue. And then and, and right now you see this stimulus package being added. Sure, this will help us in the near term and help us recover. But what's the unintended consequence of this? Well, we think it fits in, unfortunately, very nicely to supporting a major economic event down the road from now. Mm -hmm. um, so it's uh, it, there's a consequence for every action that we take here. And uh, while this is something that I believe that we do need now, um, that unintended consequence is hanging out there in our future. Does that increase the likelihood that it happens sooner? If it's, mm -hmm. if it's really debt induced, you know, that, that that's increasing the debt. So what, what's your, what's your timeline for that? you said 2030s, do, do you think it, mm -hmm. the last great depression started in about what, 2930? I'm not exactly sure when the tech, mm -hmm. you know, uh, definition was, uh, it was crazy, but that lasted till what the late thirties. So it was about 10 years. Right. So are you saying it's mm -hmm. likely to occur in the, like, just 100 years later, 2031 to 2039 kind of a thing, or it's going to start somewhere in the 2030s? We're expecting that the 2029-2030 is, is, is when we start to see this thing developing. So there is some symmetry between the exactly 100-year point there. Hmm. Um, you know, we do study the long-term economic cycles, and typically you see a, a recession every 10 years in the U.S. economy. That's held true back to World War II. So there hmm. certainly are symmetry in these cycles historically, um, and we do expect that by 2029-2030 is when we start to see uh, the, the scale tipping. Mm -hmm. um, and we, at this time, we don't see this it, it speeding up that time frame in terms of the trillion dollar stimulus package. Uh, if anything, it's just providing more support and giving us more confidence that this is on the table for that mm -hmm. time. So at this time, not speeding it up, but just another, uh, for all of us at ITR, it's like, uh, you know, all right, you know, <laughs> a little more support for our expectation. Um, Hate to be the, uh, you know, we, we're, we call ourselves emotionless economists. So uh, <laughs> this is something that, uh, 
we're okay with, but uh, it's going to present some difficulties in the future for sure. Yeah, emotionless, but you might you might high five each other when your forecasts uh, are are confirmed as being accurate and proven true. Yeah, just behind the scenes, where we do that in quiet. Yeah. Uh, so, are, are are there companies now planning? I mean, twenty twenty nine, thankfully, seems like a long way off right now. I, I twenty, you know, two thousand eight isn't far enough in the rearview mirror for me, honestly. Like I don't really want to go through that again, <laughs> ever, if possible. Mm-hmm. But even you know, nine, ten years from now, that on one hand it seems like really, and at the same time it seems like that's a long way off. I, what a, I'm relieved to know that that kind of economic decline is likely to be a decade from now. So, are, are, are what are companies doing? What do you what do you suggest in terms of preparation? Is it is it too soon to really begin planning for that or factoring that? into our decision-making today? Absolutely not. And, you know, the, one of the, this is one of the key topics of our presentations that, you know, when us uh, ITR economics public speakers are traveling around the U.S., this is a key part of every presentation we do. And a big reason for that is, you know, we saw 2008, 2009 coming. And for the people that listened to us, they were able to prepare themselves. And, you know, we have numerous testimonials thanking us wow. for that. And, and, we wanted to, so we realized we need to sound this alarm much earlier hmm. and we need to have people preparing because even though it's a decade away, you know, we're talking about trying to get ourselves out of debt. That's paying down a mortgage. Like, so 10 years isn't all that much time to, to get yourself in that type of financial standing. Wow. So it's yeah. really important that as we approach this, you know, we're out of debt. We have the mortgage paid off, whether it's student loans. Me personally, I'm hoping eventually we elect someone with student loan debt and that goes away. But that's a, a little far-fetched. I think <laughs> that was time, but I'm crossing my fingers. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's paying down debt. It's making sure that you're able to draw on your liquid assets throughout that time, have cash on hand, make sure the cash is king. A lot of people are considering that as a time to sell the business too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that's something that's, you know, being considered out there when 2027, 2028 rolls around, is that the time to sell the business and, uh, and get out of this. And of course, with our baby boomer generation and the Gen Xers, that's retirement age for a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and what does it mean for the families and the kids too, you know? Right. It's, and so it's so important that we're living below our means over this next decade. You know, we still like the U.S. You know, we think single family housing in the U.S. is a great opportunity to build some equity over the next decade. We think the stock market is, will perform very well over the next decade. So we need to take it, really take advantage of those trends so we can be prepared for this thing that's coming because if we're prepared this is a huge wealth creation opportunity for all of us and that's where the positive light comes of this situation Hmm. you saw a lot of people come out of 2008 2009 multi-millionaires because they were prepared for that and so for all the you know the millennials and the gen xers when this is their peak earning years you hear me saying this great depression is coming I know it's grim, but if you prepare yourself, this is just a wealth creation opportunity for you. And that's the message that we're trying to get out there now. Um, you know, we, you know, just alerting everyone a couple of years ahead of time isn't that helpful when preparing for a, a financial crisis like this, like we expect this to be. Hmm. So, we, so that's a decade in advance. So we've all been warned. There's no, uh, no saying that we didn't know this was coming. So. 10 years is a long time to prepare, which is, which is really interesting. I'm curious, you mentioned, you know, you made forecasts prior to, um, you know, 07, 08, 09. 
How many years prior to that were you sounding the alarm? You know, that, that is a great question for my CEO and president. I was uh, graduating high school uh, during okay. that time. So, okay. <laughs> so I was still, but uh, I, I speak to several organizations and they still, you know, they come up to me and they say, you know, your, your president and CEO saved me in 2008, 2009. I had a great testimonial that was uh, this uh, gentleman was walking around Europe with his business partners and uh, our CEO, Brian, had told him about this. And so he had liquidated all of his, um, you know, his assets and his daughter was also with him. And she was saying, while he was in Europe, he's calling her and saying, you need to go to this bank, you, need to, you know, in like pulling this money out. And wow. so she has this story and he remembers, you know, weeks later walking around with his business partners and seeing them devastated, you know, in tears, you know, on their hands and knees because they lost everything. And, you know, he was, he was in great shape. So it's, it's <laughs> crazy to hear these stories. I you know Brian, just to put it in perspective, Brian and Alan Bolio, our, pre our president and CEO and the principals of the company, they're twin brothers. Hmm. They've uh, been uh, in, uh, at the helm of ITR for over 30 years now. Wow. They've been in the game for quite some time. Yeah. Brian took over as CEO in, in the late 80s. So um, we've been around for, for quite some time. So uh, the information's always been out there. Um, and that's why we're, we're really trying to make sure that we get it to the masses and help everyone prepare for it. Yeah, that's, and that's got to be an interesting place to be. I just read The Big Short by Michael Lewis. I, I've read <laughs> two other of his books. I know he wrote Moneyball, which that was a great book too. But he wrote two other books on kind of the financial trading and, and that he comes from that world. And there were a few people who saw that coming and they were trying to sound the alarm and they were absolutely drowned out by uh, all the other voices. There was just nobody had any tolerance for that, that message. And so what a, what a unique place to be mm -hmm. that, uh, that Herald who's, uh, who's sounding the alarm. And so I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that you guys are doing that. And, and more so than that, I'm just, I could, like I said at the beginning, I consider this a huge privilege to you know, not only are you sharing what you're observing, but there's that 30 year accumulated wisdom that is, you know, that is uh, present in your firm. And just the fact that you'd be willing to come on and share that with us and the audience of the Fab Lab pad, you know, podcast, I just, I'm really grateful for that opportunity. So, man, this has been, this has been fantastic. On that note, I think this is just a great place to wrap up. Um, we got a great insight today from you. We've got long-term, short-term, um, information to digest to consider and to start planning accordingly and so taylor what a fantastic uh, conversation i'm so grateful for the opportunity to have had it Jay, thanks for having me on really appreciate it yeah how can folks get in touch with you i know you speak to the rockheads you speak to the artisan group if uh you know, from the just the fabrication community at large how um how do we get more of what you've got to offer Absolutely. Uh, multiple social media platforms. We do Trends Talk, which are short podcasts of our own. And you can find those on, on SoundCloud and Spotify and your various podcast platforms. Uh, those are our economic speakers, just giving quick five to seven minute updates on some of these current events. Okay. So that's a good way to stay in touch, of course. ITREconomics.com. Um, you can find a lot of this information. We're consistently posting blogs on our websites to give you updates on what we're seeing uh, in real time, of course. Um, then also check out some of the books President and CEO have wrote over the last few years. Prosperity in the Age of Decline is all about the 2030s and what's coming our way. Huh. So they did write a book just a few years ago about uh, 
yeah, another way to spread this information to everyone. And they wrote another book called Make Your Move, and that's all about developing rates of change and utilizing some of our methodology in your business. So there's certainly some tools out there. Uh, and then, of course, YouTube. We have some of our, our presentations up on YouTube as well. So all of the various social media platforms. And uh, I, please connect with us on, on Twitter as well. We're, uh, we're pretty active on all of our social media platforms. Well, Taylor St. Germain with ITR Economics, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast today. I hope we can have you on again on the other side of this current situation that we're all facing. Yeah, I would appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on. Hopefully, uh, like you said, next time I can uh, give everyone the positive point of view. But uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to uh, talking with you all again soon. Likewise. Take care, Taylor. Thank you. Wow, that was a fantastic interview, Wes. I am so just glad we had the privilege of having him on the podcast. The thing I really liked is that he made a couple well, a lot of really good points, but one that stuck out was you let the data do the talking. And when you turn on the news, you turn on, you're talking to your buddy, you're talking to your neighbor, talking to everybody. You got a lot of emotion doing the talking. You got a lot of hearsay doing the talking. But when you let the data do the talking, you got a better understanding of what's coming down and just understand what the real accurate picture is and how, how it's going to affect you. And how we can respond, how we can adjust, and how we can continue to manage our businesses, uh, you know, to the optimal point possible uh, in lieu of circumstances that uh, are still somewhat out of our control. And so, yeah, yeah great yeah. point. So, ladies and gentlemen, um, it took a lot to get Taylor on the podcast. We went through quite a process of approvals with his firm to have him on. And so that was truly a privilege, truly an honor. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you'll tune in for the next episode of the Fab Lab podcast. Until then, fellow fabricators lead well.